Humility is not the way of our world. Our culture is one of pride and arrogance. And it shows up in all areas of life. It shows up in our careers. It shows up in sports programs. It shows up in our schools, in our families. And it can even show up in our churches and our ministries. The reason the church is not exempt from this, of course, is the reality that because of our sin, our hearts are twisted towards pride. Because of our sin, we are bent towards arrogance in our lives. God's given us a Savior that's not like us. Jesus, praise the Lord. Jesus, our Savior, came as a humble Savior. He modeled perfectly what the life of humility looks like. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. I've titled our sermon, Jesus, our humble Savior. And today, as we see the Savior in this text, uh, we will see a Savior that humbly came to rescue us and then taught us to follow Him in the life of humility. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to read our text and pray for us. Luke 9, verse 37 through 50. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met Him. Just then, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, because he's my only child. A spirit seizes him. Suddenly he shrieks, and it throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth. Severely bruising him, it scarcely ever leaves him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Jesus replied, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. As the boy was still approaching, the demon knocked him down and threw him into severe convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all astonished at the greatness of God. While everyone was amazed at all the things that he was doing, he told his disciples, Let these words sink in. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them so that they could not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among them about who was the greatest of them. But Jesus, knowing their inner thoughts, took a little child and had him stand next to him. He told them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. For whoever is least among you, this one is great. John responded, 
Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. Don't stop him, Jesus told him, because whoever is not against you is for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find here. And we thank you for the picture of our Savior. Uh, continue to um, show, uh, show him to us. Let us be amazed by Jesus and let our lives be changed because of what he's accomplished. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The first thing I want us to see from this text is this. Our humble Savior steps into our brokenness. Our humble Savior steps into our brokenness. Now this text, of course, all of these texts as we're working through this gospel, we want to remember they're a part of a, a larger story. But this one, we certainly, as we're looking at... Uh, the understanding that we have been given a humble Savior, it's really important for us to remember what's just happened. Right? Last week, if you were here, uh, don't forget that Jesus went up on the mountain with Peter, John, and James for prayer. And in that prayer, as He was praying, His appearance changed. His clothes became like lightning and the disciples saw His glory. They saw the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And God the Father overshadows them in a cloud and speaks to those three disciples while miraculously Moses and Elijah who have been dead for a long time were in their presence talking with Jesus and God speaks to the disciples and said, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. So it's important that we remember that scene of what has just happened. Jesus being uh, revealed in His glory to those disciples and declared by the Father to be the Son that is the Chosen One. It's important that we understand that that has just happened as, as this scene unfolds. And so let's look at verse 37 to the first part of 43 as we're thinking about our humble Savior stepping into our brokenness. Luke 9:37. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met Him. Just then, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, because he's my only child. A spirit seizes him. Suddenly he shrieks and it throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth, severely bruising him. It scarcely ever leaves him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Jesus replied, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. As the boy was still approaching, the demon knocked him down and threw him into severe convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. 
and they were all astonished at the greatness of God. So Jesus, the divine Son of God, uh, who's just been revealed in His glory to three of the disciples and declared to be the Son that is the Chosen One, steps down from the mountaintop and into the brokenness of this world. In verse 37, as they come down, they are met with a crowd. A crowd that has needs from Him. And so in verse 38 to 40, we see the scene start with, a father crying out to Jesus, Please look at my son. See him. Have compassion on him. Do something about what's going on. And then he goes on to explain the problem. There is a, an unclean spirit, an evil spirit that is oppressing him. There is a spirit that is harming him. It includes physical ailments and the oppression of demonic activity that is harming the child, throwing him to the ground, bruising him, causing seizures in his body. And the father comes to Jesus, do something please, would you please look at my son? And in verse 41 Jesus calls them out for their lack of belief. Likely speaking both to the disciples and to the crowd. Uh, he said, like, I, I begged your disciples to do something and they couldn't. So the nine disciples who were not up on the mountaintop for the transfiguration had been asked, can you help? And they couldn't do anything for this child and for the father and Jesus calls out their lack of belief but then says please bring, bring your child bring your son to me and in verse 42 in the first half of 43 we see that Jesus rebukes the spirit and then he heals the physical things that are going on in the boy uh, and the physical things that have happened to the son. Remember, it severely bruised him. It threw him to the ground. There were physical complications, physical things that he was experiencing, and Jesus healed those and then gave him back to the father. He restored the child fully, addressed the, the spiritual issue that's going on, and then addressed the physical issue that was going on. And so how do the people respond when they see this? The, end, or the beginning of verse 43 says that they were all astonished at God, at the greatness of God, at what God was doing through Jesus Christ. They were amazed. In all of this, with this scene, uh, of course, we see Jesus' humility our humble Savior came down from the mountaintop where He is declared the divine Son of God who is the Chosen One. And He didn't come down with those three disciples and see the crowd and say, okay, I want them to tell you what they just saw. 
I want them to tell you what God the Father just said about me. It's time to worship me. It's time for me to take my throne. He didn't step into the world coming off of that mountaintop experience for himself. He deserves all glory. He deserves all praise. But He humbled Himself and stepped into the brokenness of this world, into the brokenness of our lives. He sees our needs. And He has compassion on us. And of course, humility was not an occasional character trait that He exhibited you know, that's true for, for anybody who's like, oh, that's a humble person. Uh, or they exhibit humility uh, oftentimes. It's never perfectly. Jesus was the perfect example. He lived out an entire life of humility. In Philippians, we studied this about a year ago. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, this is, Paul speaking about Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. On a cross. Jesus' whole life was an act of humility. Think of the divine Son of God who eternally existed with the Father and the Spirit taking on the flesh like you and me. Think of His birth alone. An act of humility. The King of kings, the Lord of lords who deserves all glory and praise, is born into circumstances where he doesn't even have a place to lay down. He's born in a stable and is laid in a feed trough for animals. That was an act of humility for our Savior. His whole ministry, stepping into our mess, our brokenness, our sin. The Son of God stepped into that brokenness and it was an act of humility. And here in Philippians, Paul reminds us all the way to his death, he humbled himself. He was willing to die. Remember, death is what we have earned because of our sin. He never sinned, and yet he willingly died for us in our place. And he didn't just take a nice, peaceful, easy death. He suffered the most excruciating and shame-filled death of the day. For us, He stepped into our brokenness in order to rescue us. He gave up His life for us. So let's be astonished. Like the people were as they saw God working in that. They were astonished at the greatness of God. Let's be astonished. Let's be amazed at what our Savior has done. That We've been given a humble Savior who steps into the brokenness of our lives in order to restore us, in order to heal us, in order to put things right again. And let's spend some time this week praying and thanking God that our Savior humbly came and stepped into our brokenness. The second thing from this text that I want us to see is this. 
our humble Savior willingly suffered for us. Our humble Savior willingly suffered for us. This ties into that first point. The first point we saw that that humility went all the way to the point of His death. But it's important that we see that that was part of the plan. That He willingly did this and had planned this. Luke 9, the second half of 43 through 45 While everyone was amazed at all the things that he was doing, he told his disciples, let these words sink in. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand the statement. It was concealed from them so that they could not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. The whole crowd is amazed they see this again and act like a miraculous act of, of Jesus stepping into broken situations and restoring and, and uh, turning things for good. The divine Son of God who had been declared as the chosen one stepped into this world on a rescue mission. He's the one who came to restore all things. And he tells his disciples here for the second time. He doesn't give as much detail as the first time, but he tells them for the second time that he is going to be betrayed. Uh, he's, go- he's about to die. He had previously told them that he was going to be uh, betrayed that he was going to uh, die and then he would be raised on the third day. Here, he just tells his disciples, like, pay attention to what I'm saying to you. Listen to these words. I am about to be handed over into the hands of meaning about to die. And verse 45 says, the disciples didn't understand it. It's the second time that he's told them this, and they they still don't get it, and Luke clarifies why. It's been concealed from them. Uh, Even though Jesus is telling them what is happening, God has concealed the ability for them to even be able to grasp it and understand it. Sometimes we don't understand what's going on in this world. Oftentimes, right? We can't get it. We just think, what, what is happening here? Why would this be happening? And sometimes that reason is because God doesn't want us to know at that moment. And here is one of those examples. Even hearing the words from Jesus, God had concealed their understanding of what was going to happen. So here we again see that this is part of God's plan. This is what He came to do was to willingly suffer for us, to willingly give up His life for us. Jesus didn't get to the cross and think, man, how did things turn out like this? This wasn't what I signed up for. I didn't think it was going to be like this. It was the plan. It wasn't plan B. It was the plan. 
It was always the plan from the foundations of the world and before them. He had planned to redeem fallen humanity by coming and dying for fallen humanity. He willingly gave up his life. We see in that passage from John uh, about Jesus being the good shepherd, Jesus speaking these words, John ten fourteen through 18 I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Listen to verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I've been given the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from the Father. Verse 18, no one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own. Jesus said, I'm doing this for my people. I'm doing this for my sheep. I'm willingly giving up my life. No one's taking it from me. I'm going to give up my life to redeem the lost. To heal the broken He humbly came and willingly suffered for us in order to save us. And so just as we want to, with the the first point, this is an application point where we want to just remember and praise God for this reality. Let's remember that Jesus willingly suffered for us, for you and your sins And for me and my sins, He willingly died for us because He loved us that much. He humbled Himself so that you could come to Him and receive His righteousness and the forgiveness of sins. And if you're here today and you have never put your faith in Christ, please consider that there has been a humble Savior that came for you, that died for you so that you could be forgiven and made right with God and adopted into the family of God because He loves you. And if you want to know more about that, I would love to speak with you and share more of the good news of the Gospel with you about Jesus dying for your sins and how you can trust in Him. So please... Make plans to talk with me today if you need to about that. The third point from this text back in Luke is this. Our humble Savior instructs us in humility. Our humble Savior instructs us in humility. Uh, If you were here last week, remember on on the mountain at the Transfiguration... God first declares who Jesus is. This is my Son, the Chosen One. But then He also tells them what they should do because that is true. Listen to Him. Listen to Jesus. Listen to my Son. Learn from my Son. Obey my Son. 
And here at this scene, we have instruction from Jesus. And that instruction is instruction in humility. He didn't just live humbly for us. He also calls us to follow Him in that. Verse 46 through 50, back in Luke 9, an argument started among them about who was the greatest of them. But Jesus, knowing their inner thoughts, took a little child and had him stand next to him. He told them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. For whoever is least among you, this one is great. John responded, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. Don't stop him, Jesus told him, because whoever is not against you is for you. Jesus has to instruct them on two different issues here. And both of those issues, both of these little kind of scenes that are tied together, uh, there's an issue concerning pride in the disciples' lives, in the disciples' hearts. And the first is how they see one another. They have uh, a pride and arrogance amongst them on which one is best. Who's the greatest? And they're arguing between one another. Their own brothers. The ones who are walking with the Savior and learning from Him and being empowered by Him. And they're dividing up over who is the greatest. They're puffing themselves up. They're proclaiming their own greatness. And Jesus confronts their pride. And he starts by doing that with bringing a child to his side. Knowing what's going on in their hearts and minds, knowing the argument that's taking place over who is the greatest, and Jesus brings a child beside him and says, anyone who's willing to welcome a child... Anyone who's willing to pour themselves out for the good of a child, that's the one who's truly welcoming me and welcoming the Father. That's the one that's truly one of mine. See, a child in the ancient world held no value for most people. Most cultures didn't look to children as holding much value because they didn't have anything to offer. And Jesus says, if you're willing to pour yourself out and see the least these and care for the least of these, you're truly one of God's children. You truly are following Me. And He says, that's the way to greatness. is to humbly quit caring about yourself. Quit puffing up yourself. Quit thinking you're so great. And see the needs of the broken and the, the small and the ones that can't offer anything to you. See their needs and pour yourself out to serve them. And that's how you become great. 
He's not talking about salvation. He's not saying if you want to be saved, then you've got to do certain things for kids. But he's saying that that's evidence that if you will pour yourself out for others who can't do anything for you, that's proof that you're one of God's children. Greatness comes from humility and serving others for their good. And Jesus modeled that with His own life. He humbled Himself and served us for our good. And then in verse 49-50, through 50, we have the second scene that includes an issue of pride. Hopefully this is kind of confession time. We don't know for sure what led John to saying this. But Jesus speaks these words, and then it says John responds to him. Okay, Jesus, we need to let you know about something. We were out on the road, and we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. But we told him to stop. Hey, you can't do that. And what was their reasoning? He's not one of us. He doesn't follow us. And so we tried to stop him from doing that. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't stop him. If he's not against you, he's for you. If he's not against us, he's with us. We can't look at outsiders and think you're not part of this group, so you don't belong or you can't serve in these capacities. And this is an area that churches can quickly slip into, especially in how we think of other churches and other denominations. People who may practice their faith a little bit different than us, or they believe some different things that we believe on certain little issues, and we think they don't deserve to be serving God that way. They're not truly following God because they believe this about end times, or they believe this about uh, you know some other issue. And are there issues that are concerning that we should address Are there teachings that some people twist God's Word that we should care about? Absolutely. But we are quick to judge people who are not in our church, ministries that are not a part of our church, and think, we're doing it better. We've got it right. And those individuals out there are doing it wrong. Both of these issues are issues of pride. How you look at the insiders and puff yourself up thinking, comparing, I'm better than him and I'm better than her. And also looking at outsiders and thinking they don't have a right. We're part of the true group here. right? For the disciples, they've been hand-selected by the Savior And so they're thinking, hey, this guy doesn't need to be casting out demons in Jesus' name. He's not one of us. And Jesus has to correct their pride. You don't have exclusive rights to minister in my name. Don't stop him. And we aren't that different from the disciples. Pride swells in us. Every one of us. It can happen. We can feel superior to brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can think that we're better than other churches and other groups of believers. 
we are instructed by Jesus to follow Him in humility. His first act of instructing them after coming down from the mountain and being the disciples being told, listen to what He has to say, is stop puffing yourself up. It's not about you. Humble yourselves. Follow Me in a life of humility. He lived it and He called us to it. Paul helps tie those together in that passage back in Philippians. Paul talked about, we just read a a few minutes ago, about uh, Jesus humbling Himself all the way to the point of death on a cross for us. But the verses before that, Paul is having to instruct the people of God concerning pride and that there needs to be evidence of humility in their lives. And so Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Verse 5, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Follow your Savior. Live the life that your Savior lived. Live a humble life. Not thinking how great you are, but pouring yourself out for other people. Embrace a life of humility and live like Jesus. And then, one more passage from Paul, one more verse from Paul, is Colossians 3 Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Since you are God's chosen ones, since you are sons and daughters of God, put on gentleness, put on compassion, kindness, and put on humility, just like your Savior. Church, we've got to fight pride in our lives. We all do. And some of us have to fight it a lot more uh, than others. But pride is something that in our sin we can quickly slip into. And as Jerry Bridges in his uh, book called Respectable Sins points out, the problem often for pride, concerning pride, is it's one of the sins that we see quickest in others and we never see it in ourselves. We look at other people and say, man, look at how arrogant they are. Look at how prideful they are. We can see it like that in someone else. And it can be rampant in our own hearts and we don't even notice it. So this week, we've got to ask God, God, help me. I need to see it. I need you to show me where's the pride in my heart. Where's the pride in my life? Whether it's over small things or if it's controlling every aspect of my life, show me. Where do we have pride? Let's ask God to reveal it to us and let's ask the Holy Spirit to keep shaping us. He's not done with us and that's the good news. He's not done. And God's Word says He will complete the task. 
We don't have to worry about that. But we do need to continue to walk in the fruit of the Spirit and walk with the Spirit and ask the Spirit, produce this in me. I can't do it on my own. And you can't either. We can't fight pride on our own. We may be able to, you know, press it down a little bit. But we need the Spirit of God to work in our lives to fight pride. And He will do that if we're willing to let Him. And so let's ask God, please, Holy Spirit, change me. Make me the man You want me to be. Make me the woman You want me to be. Make me the child You want me to be. For Your glory. He will produce those things that He desires in us. So in a world where pride is the common attitude, we've been given a humble Savior. He came humbly into our brokenness. He suffered for us. And then He instructed us to live in humility. And if you have not accepted Him, if you've not put your faith in Him, please consider the greatness of our Savior that God sent His own Son for you. And He came into this broken, messy world. And He died for your sins. And invites you to just believe in Him. And if you would believe in Him, if you would confess Him as your Lord, you will be saved. If you've never done that, please do that today. And if you have questions, please ask those questions today. But church, what a glorious and humble Savior we've been given. The One who deserves all glory and honor and praise. And yet He walked into this world humbly. He lived a life of humility for each one of us. Let's follow Him in that for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it seems right um, first to confess that we can be a pride-filled people. Each one of us as individuals and, each, and, uh, and our group as a whole, we can have pride in our lives. And that is the complete opposite of the Savior that's been provided for us. Please work in us. Please shape us. Please help us fight pride today and this week and every day through the power of Your Holy Spirit, God. And God, thank You for sending Your precious Son for us. Jesus, thank You for humbly stepping into the brokenness that we've created in order to rescue us. Help us believe. Help us be amazed. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today, we've been reminded of, a, of our humble Savior. Jesus humbly stepping into our brokenness, 
seeing our needs and responding with compassion for us. We were reminded of the extent that He went in order to have compassion on us. He went to the cross and suffered in our place. He died taking the death that we have earned because of our own sins. And the Bible teaches us that He rose on the third day and that if we would just believe in Him and we would turn from our sins, that we would be saved. And so we are going to take communion together as a reminder of that. Communion is a reminder to the church of what Jesus has done for us. It's a way to remember and celebrate the finished work of our Savior. And if you have not trusted in Jesus for salvation, we would ask you not to partake in these elements that are meant as a reminder for the, for the church of what Jesus has done for them. But please, think about what you've heard about a Savior who died for you. This reminder is important for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He gathered with His disciples and took the Passover meal with them. And He told them to do this in remembrance of Him. Remember what He's done for them. The bread representing His body that was given up for us. The cup of wine representing His blood that was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. And it's of vital importance that we remember that every day. And so it's good for us as a church to celebrate this together and remind ourselves of our Savior. God in His kindness gave us communion to help us remember that. I'm going to pray for us. God, as we take these elements... Let them remind us of the sacrifice that was made for us. Give us a heart of praise and thanks for your kindness to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Reading from the Gospel of Matthew 26 and verse 26 through 28. As they were eating... Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So, taking your bread... This is the body of Christ that is given for you. And taking the cup. This is the blood of Christ that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins.
As I pray, the worship team is going to come back up and lead us in our closing song of worship. Father, thank You for the church. Thank You for this reminder. And Jesus, thank You for sacrificing for us so that we could be forgiven and become children of God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.